This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Cliff Eidelman, composer for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And we're continuing a series we've had on Standard Orbit. We haven't done this one in a while, so it's fun to to revisit this. We're talking about the lost episodes of TOS Part 4. Ken, this is the fourth time we've talked about episodes that were written or at least outlined at the time of the original series, but never came to fruition. So I always enjoy this as a fun what-if you know, it's kind of like uh, it's a little time capsule to to possible stories you could have seen back in the day had had TOS ran as long as the other shows. Uh, so we're talking about two episodes this time. First, Joanna, and second, Rockabye Baby or Die. So, <laughs> <laughs> what a title! I want to think that's a working title. I, I would hope that I mean, of all the absurd Star Trek titles, uh, that might have taken the cake and it actually uh, made air. What do you think, Ken? Uh, yeah, that definitely would have taken the like, rockabye baby or die. I mean, that's just um, now, you know, I, I live in New England. I, I have a home up in New Hampshire and you drive up there and it's live free or die. And that's what it says. You know, when you enter the state, that's what it says on every license plate. And for 52 years, I was like, man, that's a great saying. But man, it's intense. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of room for wiggle in here. Rockabye baby or die. That just sounds like. I don't know that somebody was making a Halloween ripoff, doesn't it? That's a cool like punk rock band name. I'll put that on the list uh, for potential names when I. When oh I yeah, start who with. knows? It might be out there. <laughs> it's true. Baby. Very true. Yeah, the other one isn't so bad. Yeah, so so Joanna would be the first mm-hmm. one we're talking about. Now Joanna was written by DC Fontana, uh, Star Trek royalty, right? And uh, this is written in the fall of 1968, so it's for the third season. And this spun out of a discussion that she had with DeForest Kelly between the first and second seasons uh, because she proposed that McCoy have an estranged son they could bring onto the show. But he actually probably he thought it'd be more interesting if he had an estranged daughter. And this episode, as, as it was written, it kind of turned into The Way to Eden. So there's not really as much to say about the structure and the story of the episode as you have in previous uh, discussions about Lost Episodes because it did morph into an episode that actually, you know, was on the air. But there were some changes made to it. Now, let me ask you, though, Ken, 
do you, as part of like the, the Star Trek fan and headcanon stuff, uh, what, what are your thoughts on McCoy having a daughter? Because it's, it's, it's an idea that's floated around a lot. Uh, it just hasn't been on screen in live action, but it, but it has been around even though this episode never happened. Uh, Joanna McCoy has, has become like kind of a character in like novels and stuff like that. Yeah, I think what it does when you bring in family members you don't know about and then they become part of the lexicon of the series, it, um, it adds to the risk that they're taking, I, I believe, right? Because we really don't have a lot of backstory in the TOS, you know, in the original series. We, we don't go deep into characters' backgrounds, you know, um, at all, right? So we don't know if they have kids. We don't know if they've been married before. You know, I think it was kind of taken for granted that they all kind of, you know, they're married to Starfleet, and that's that's as far as it goes. And, you know, other than relationships along the way, you know, girl in every port, a guy in every port, whatever. Uh, I, I think that these types of things, um, it, 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 it demonstrates that the characters are more human, that they did have lives before they got on the Enterprise. And like I said at the beginning, for me, it, uh, it, it's kind of like in Star Trek Beyond, right? The, the fact that Sulu had a daughter and a husband, all of a sudden it's like now the risk is there. You know, I mean, there's... There's more to than this than you know, we we talk about the abstract, but you know there's people at home somewhere that care about these people, and I I often felt that the um, the characters in TOS led very lonely lives, and Star Trek V kind of emphasized that, so I, I think this would have been a good thing. Yeah, for McCoy, right? I mean, we we really don't know anything much about him, as you said. Like there, we have the man trap, and like. For the world's hollow and I touch the sky, <laughs> like those are like mm-hmm. the only two McCoy episodes, right? Uh, yep. So, but but everybody's really a blank slate when it comes. Okay, so Spock, you know, his parents both appeared on T- TOS. Uh, his, he had a brother in a movie. He have a spinoff show about his adopted sister, uh, Kirk. <laughs> right? He had a brother. He had three sons. Uh, we forget about two of those sons for some reason. We only talk about one. Uh, but his brother and sister-in-law passed away on the sh- on on the show on TOS and Operation Annihilate. Uh, don't know really much about his his parents. I mean, that was all kind of fanon as well you know head canon you know that his that his dad had, had been had been on you know, the enterprise and work with robert april and, and all that stuff and that, there's novels about that but they kind of incorporate that a little bit in the kelvin timeline but but after that you know there's really nothing much for uh, his, his family life uh, until you know the movies and we meet a son that he didn't well he knew he had a son but they, he was not part of his life uh and of course he dies but other than that right you look at all these other characters scotty right i mean he has a nephew that pops up in Wrath of Comedy, you don't know anything about uh, any other of his family members, and uh, Sulu has a daughter that Kirk didn't know about, you know. Chekhov is an only child, we know that, from Day of the Dove, uh, and Nahuru right. is a complete blank slate, as far as her family goes, so so, so the, these are, this is not, we didn't, get the, we didn't get the seventh season of Next Generation for TOS, where we had just everybody's family members showing up, you know, in every episode. Well, it seems like uh, siblings and ne- nieces and nephews the risk of for them is actually much higher than actually serving on the enterprise. Yeah, there's a high mortality rate. If you, yeah, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a good thing to be. So maybe <laughs> I'll just take my statement that I made at the beginning and retract that because just <laughs> bad things happen, you know. And, and it seems to curse Picard too. So it's just like mm. you know what? Let's just uh, let's just leave family out of this because they're just getting slaughtered left, right, and sideways. Yeah. Well, so Joanna McCoy, right? She she is mentioned in a animated series episode, The Survivor, because Carter Winston was a big philanthropist and he helped a, a colony with a, a disease that McCoy's daughter was working on. He thanks him when he comes on the Enterprise. So so that that is the one 
Uh, TAS is always in like, is it canon? Is it not? I think it is. We think it is. I think it's Star Trek canon. Uh, so that that is the one mention of Joanna McCoy in, in, in the true Star Trek canon, right? But there are a lot of books that she's mentioned or featured in, uh, one being Spock Must Die. Speaking of Rock of High Baby Must Die, Spock Must Die. It's one of those books that came out early in the uh, in the show. So that's a cool mm-hmm. title. Uh, an- another uh, another ska band or punk rock band uh, possibility for y'all out there who's looking to looking for band names. Uh, also, Time for Yesterday, Strangers from the Sky, uh, the Crucible trilogy, which I've mentioned a lot on here. Then the Mike Brothers Keeper trilogy, which is about uh, Kirk and Mitchell before where no man has gone before. Uh, and then uh, Crisis on Centaurus is a big one. She's featured on. She's even featured on the cover of that book, Joanna McCoy. So, anyway, so so if you wanna if you want some more Joanna McCoy action check out those novels and, and much more but but this episode you know uh, as it was initially conceived it has a lot of the same beats it has dr severin you know the guy with the ears <laughs> from uh, the way to eden uh he has a, a group of followers around him they're, they're called the artists uh in this episode and mccoy's daughter joanna has has joined this group the enterprise gets a distress signal from this group and they're stranded on a planet the enterprise beams them up and mccoy's in the transporter room and he sees his daughter and she's like hello dad and he doesn't reply yeah, and and it's interesting note in here that they have that Spock asks uh, McCoy if "Hello, Dad" is some archaic form of Earth greeting <laughs> because he doesn't understand like the uh, the dynamics there. And she says, "This is my daughter, Joanna." So uh, interesting that you know it's kind of it's kind of reversed from Spock's family history because let's not forget DC Montana wrote "Journey to Babel." His parents come on board. They don't you know Sarek and Spock don't really acknowledge each other as father and son. And here here we have McCoy's daughter come on board. And they're having issues too. So DC Montana enjoyed that family drama between the the cast and their family. Yay, now. daddy issues. Yay, <laughs> more of that Star Trek. More of that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but the the big the, the big uh, crux of him uh, having a problem with his daughter being involved in this is really she had lied to him about what she was doing. She was supposed to be off studying to be a nurse, and she instead been been joining this group. And it, it follows many of the same beats. As uh, the way to Eden, you know, they find a planet, people die, there's a shuttlecraft, all that stuff. So uh, they just kind of remove that family connection element. And then in the actual the final episode, that character gets turned into the character that Chekhov kind of has a uh, previous established relationship with. Like they went to the Academy or something together, I believe. In the, I, I, don't, I don't watch the way to Eden that much, guys. So my, my encyclopedic knowledge is not as precise on that episode. So, uh, but, but that's what that kind of morphed into. Uh, and there was, and it, of course, at the end of the episode, you know, him and Joanna reconcile. They have an open discussion. Uh, apparently, she was uh, th- uh, her mom threw her out because she was too much like McCoy, and McCoy finds that amusing. Uh, and it, it's kind of like you know, it, it, I, I envision it as kind of the scene at the end of Star Trek Two where David and Kirk kind of hug and they go off and they're gonna have a relationship now. And it's gonna be cool, and at least that was the idea, right? Uh, because she he kind of gives her her blessing to go do what she wants to do, and they they're off to their next mission. So that's kind of the the crux of that episode so it would have been i think well it's a it's a tough episode as it is i think that uh, it would have been interesting just to have like i said that element that would have tied it a little bit closer than just a group of space hippies so and i as i said in the beginning i do like the idea of having a a daughter involved having more risk for the crew you know, uh, because the sacrifices that they make are just that much bigger. And in this episode, if it just kind of follows along the whole Eden thing, you know, it was a very predictable episode, I think. Um, that would have just been a, a nice outlier that I think would have been, you know, a little bit more entertaining. And, you know, we've had things that come out of these episodes that we see later on. And so, you know, how would have that impacted the movies? Uh, you know, obviously, it impacted a lot of books, things like that. But 
you know, even um, if they could have convinced uh, Leonard Nimoy and um, DeForest Kelly to, to be on Generations, you know, could Joanna have been, you know, the doctor on that ship or something? Oh, that's a good, you know, I never considered that. that's a good call because, you know, if you don't, you know, if they're there, you don't really feel the need to kind of fill in other characters like, here's Sulu's daughter. <laughs> it, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're there in advance. Of course, she wouldn't get there till Tuesday. Um, <laughs> of course, right. Of course. But at any rate, you know, I'm, I'm not here to to just crap all over generations, although I could, but I won't. Well, yeah, um, I think I think this episode, you know, <laughs> this might have worked because obviously the way Eden was like trying to speak to that kind of counterculture at the time. Uh, and I think, you know, an interesting part of the episode is Spock kind of connects with these guys because he always feels like an outsider. And that's a cool, like, kind of, there's some substance to even a, the, the hippie episode, right, of the original series, at least in that respect. But this one, you know, there is some dialogue here between uh, McCoy and his daughter, and he's like, why do you even follow this guy? Because they think he's a, he's a clown, you know? And she says, because he doesn't condemn me for being something I'm not, right? And I think that's that's kind of a, that was a thread in, you know, the 60s and 70s and that kind of youth movement, I think, of, like, you know, parents and kids having issues. And, I, you know, that, that, that was been a good way to kind of, like, you know, translate that to Star Trek, at least. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's I, actually, it, you know, it's not just a, a 70s, 80s type thing. It's kind it's, of a universal a, thing, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it is. It's very generational, you know, you know, being a dad myself. And while I don't I don't condemn my kids for anything, uh, for what they want to do, I know that there's, you know, sometimes there's conversations about direction, work ethic, um, you know, things along those lines that, that follow you around. So it's it's definitely something that people can relate to on either side, you know, whether you're you're the young one who wants to go in another direction and your parents drive you crazy, or you're the parent trying to, you know, do what we always try to do, and that is put them in the best part, best possible, you know, way to succeed. And so parents can sometimes, <laughs> one, of the, one of the more common aspects of being a parent, right, is doing whatever you can so your kids don't have to go through the, the bad things that, that, that you went through. But then you realize in order for them to grow up, they sort of have to. And um, it's a tough lesson. And I think in this episode, you know, especially when you see them with somebody that's really out there uh, like this, uh, you know, one, dad's right. <laughs> this, guy's a, this guy's a clown. But dad was wrong for pushing you in a certain direction that led you to this clown. So that's it would have been a good, I guess, a, a good um, storyline, good communication. And because they reconcile at the end. She kind of um, says that, you know, she she may go back to being a nurse or a doctor or something like that. And he tells her, do what you want to do, whatever that may be, you know, is is also the evolution of a parent. Just realizing I've just got to trust that they'll be OK, that we raise them well enough, you know, and that this lesson will sink in. You know, interestingly, that makes me think of D Space Nine with Jake and Cisco yeah. just kind of assumed Jake wanted to be in Starfleet. And you know, he's like you know, interning with Chief O'Brien and all this stuff. And eventually he tells him like, hey dad, I don't want to be in Starfleet. You know, and he and he became a writer. And I thought that was a very refreshing thing for Star because, you know, we had Wesley on TNG and you think every kid in the 21st century just wants to be on a starship and all this stuff. And of course, you know, as a kid watching Star Trek, I wanted to be on a starship and all that. So I understand it, but it was nice to see it. There are many paths for people even in the future. You don't, you don't have to do like, you know, join Starfleet, be a doctor, do this, do that. There are other career opportunities for you. And Cisco is very accepting of that. Uh, of Jake, which was just kind of, you know, he was really nervous about telling his dad that he didn't want to do that, but they had that conversation and it was all good after that. So no, that's, that's, that's a great analogy right there. And it is nice when they, when they go in different directions and 
so forth. Uh, and I can completely relate to that. Uh, generations of Navy folks, and none of my kids have any interest. In none. <laughs> it's like, okay. And that's fine. You know, they're all they're all doing well. God bless them. And now there will be no more them. Picards, kid. <laughs> so. Although, they'll, unfortunately, there'll be plenty of trips, I'm sure. But... Uh, uh, yeah, it's not it's not the the end of the chain. Just uh, no no sailors bearing that name. There you but go. We'll see. Uh, you know something that I thought was kind of a odd thing to put in here a subplot was uh, Joanna and Kirk were gonna kind of have kind of a flirtatious relationship. Uh, McCoy, yeah. McCoy even tells him like she'll cut your heart out and carry it around in a jar. She's no good. <laughs> I'm like whoa. So he's apparently got pretty burned in the divorce uh and uh it tells kirk that that she's a witch like her mother so i I don't know see that's a little extreme um just from mccoy's attitude on that point and two it's like i i i don't like that idea of like oh like you know you get these guys you know mccoy's probably you know he's like in his 40s at this point kirk's in his 30s you have i don't know joanna might be early 20s right and she comes on and kirk's gonna be like hey you know like that is like bad cliche Kirk and I, I'm kind of surprised Dorothy Fontaine even put that in the script I'm glad that didn't translate uh and for no other reason that this episode didn't come to fruition I'm glad it didn't for that reason because I'm not a big fan of that idea uh, I completely agree and, and uh, you know Chekhov yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's what he's there for stuff like that. that's what he's there for you know go after the the young kid whatnot but yeah, that, that would have been very, very creepy. And it's funny, as you were saying, it's like, I, I don't know a lot about DC Fontana's personal life, but it's like, when people write these things, sometimes you're going, where is this coming from? I mean, why would you even think that or to put that in a script, you know, because that, that is that is creepy. It, it does remind me, though, uh, in the World Enough and Time, uh, the Star Trek New Voyages episode, where uh, Sulu uh, goes through like an anomaly with another crew woman and they're lost for like 30 years and they 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 beam them back and the crew woman has died but sulu is still alive and he's also he's played by george takei that's kind of the 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 way they found uh to get george takei on new voyages right but they had had a daughter right and so they beam the daughter on and her and kurt kind of have a flirtatious thing going on there then that was not written by dc Fontana. that was written by uh mark scott zacree uh, so just throwing that out there, uh, that, 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 that is where my mind went when I'm reading this. I'm like, is it going to be like that? Cause that was, I, it was well handled at least in that, but it was still kind of creepy. <laughs> I, I think so, so. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, me and Mark are like, you know, good friends now and all we, we, right. we had dinner together in New York. So that, that makes us like tight, like brothers, um, Mexican food will do that. I would have asked him if I, if I had realized that he had written that episode cause I did see it. I didn't realize he wrote that. So. Yeah, I, I don't like. I I don't know. I I, I do understand that um, it isn't it isn't uncommon for you know whether whether young young girls, young boys, whatever you know, they ha- they have the the crushes, quote unquote, you know, on the teacher, on this adult figure, things like that. I get it. What what just gets creepy is when the adult you know flirts back. <laughs> that's that's where it's like, whoa, you know, let's let's just stop this stuff. Yeah. But well, uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, last thing. Uh, DC Fontana had a couple of casting suggestions mm-hmm. uh, for Joanna. One being Nancy Sinatra, who I am familiar with. Sure. The other being Bobby Gintry, who I'm not familiar with. Who is who is Bobby Gintry, Ken? I've, I've heard of her. I don't know her. Uh, I'm much more familiar with Nancy Sinatra just because of these boots were made for walking. Right. And it was kind of a, you know, music videos weren't too common back then, but there was one for that one. And, um, you know, she was... 
obviously a a pretty famous uh, daughter. Uh, so, but but Bobby Gentry, I've heard the name. I I just don't I don't know much about her either. Yeah, Nancy Sinatra would have been a good get for Star Trek, I think. So, at that time, you know, she was she was pretty popular, um, and you know, obviously was making a lot of headlines on her own. And she, as far as I think she's still around. Uh, there were her. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I think Frank Sinatra Jr. just passed away recently. And um, they were talking about, you know, Nancy was saying some things. But at any rate, um, yeah, I, she, she's a very, very pretty lady. Um, you know, she's, uh, she, she was young enough. I think she, she would have fit the bill at that point. Okay, we going on? Yep, let's move on. All right. <laughs> I love it. rock a baby, or die horribly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So this one was written in the fall of 1966. Um, it was written by George Clayton Johnson, and I, I love it. Gene Elgoon rejected the story. Well, <laughs> when you hear this, it's going to be like, yeah, I hope so. Well, I, I, George Clayton Johnson, he wrote The Man Trap, uh, which I think gets a bad rap. It's not a bad episode. Uh, no, Man Trap was fine. I'm just talking about this story. I'm not right. about George himself. No, no, no. <laughs> I know, I know. But th- th- this, this would have been his second story on Star Trek and maybe because this was rejected he never came back uh because he, he wrote a lot of good Twilight Zone episodes that's that's where I know him best from his work there but but yeah the, the first story first aired episode of Star Trek second story rejected that's life people right so <laughs> when, when, when you have the term soul of a cosmic baby and anything that should make you go um no yeah so so, <laughs> so what is the story about Ken tell us <laughs> so the Enterprise is visiting a planet for the criminally insane. So they've done that before. Okay, right? check. And there's only supposed to be one. That's true. Uh, yeah, only whom supposed God's to be destroy, one. Right? Yeah. Be- yeah, because they, they have essentially said that they've been able to cure, but they, this is the last element. Those people were the last ones, right? That type of thing. So that's interesting that it visits a planet for the criminally insane, and the ship is possessed by, my favorite quote here, the soul of a cosmic baby. And this cosmic baby's soul integrates itself into the circuitry of the ship and grows at an accelerated rate. So, Kirk McCoy must prevent two psycho killers from harming any more of the <clears throat> crocodile men who control a <laughs> mental asylum, right? <laughs> okay, cro- crocodile men. I mean, were they going to, like, reuse the Gorn costume for that? Like, I don't know, why even put that in there? You know, so. I, I, it's... Yeah, like I said, sometimes you 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 really can't you really can't make it up. Um, but anyway, uh, so, you know, a lot of crazy things go on. Um, this 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 planet, I guess it's called Minerva, right? And um, Minerva, this these 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 people have this. Well, they look like bipedal crocodiles. That's that's how it's how it's uh, described. And and two bad people were there to to wipe them out and. Um, Anyway, uh, so th- while they're fighting the Minervans, they're working to, uh, to, to, to fool the baby that has taken over the ship into realizing something else, right? They're, they're using uh, tricks uh, until the baby realizes it's been fooled, takes over the helm, starts to plunge the Enterprise towards the sun, tells the criminals if they do not surrender, will burn up with them. The heat gets too much until Spock is the only one who can't faint. And then the ma- the maniacs surrender, and then the Enterprise, you know, whatever. So the ship burns every circuit, adding all of its firepower to the effort of the escape, and it finally drags free. The child then departs the ship. Spock is convinced it is dead, but in that moment, McCoy is delivering a child on maneuver, 
the newborn cries in the same tones as the ship had been using. So I know that it's very, very, very hard to follow what I just read. It's also very, very hard for me to read and for me to follow what I just read. So this is a mess. <laughs> this is an absolute mess. So essentially, you know, a child wakes up on the ship, takes over the ship, can navigate the ship. The child kind of becomes the ship. Right, it's it's like a weird, like it's kind of like uh, you know, animated episode, kind of the Practical Joker. That's what it kind of reminded me of, where it's like this this childish entity kind of infuses itself with the Enterprise and does a bunch of silly stuff. Uh, but as like like we said, right, these godlike beings, right, they're usually computers or children, and this is both. So wait a wait right. check the boxes of cliche Star Trek. That's right. Gene Kuhn killed it. He didn't like the concept of humanizing the ship and its computers. And then, yeah, I guess it was resubmitted, the concept for the Next Generation writing staff, where it was, again, rejected yeah, again. I, yeah, so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like this was, okay, we're going to have, again, I'm going to say it again. The ship is possessed by the soul of a cosmic baby. And uh, good on the writers of TOS to reject this from happening, because this would have been, can you imagine, in either, ep- in, in either series, if this thing was able to fly? I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, I can see it as a really weird third season episode, but this is the first season, right? They had standards then, Ken. So <laughs> they did, but but here's here's something, right? This this is this this is from the notes you pulled up yourself, and this is the thing I just can't get away from. So remember, the soul of the ship is possessing the Enterprise. In Ahura, in consoling the despondent Enterprise, she sings "Rockabye Baby" and has the ship fall asleep. <laughs> See, it's great to use Nichelle Nichols' singing talents again on the show. You know, something that got lost over the years. I'm glad they still bring that to the forefront, right? That would have been on her uh, her album, <laughs> Nichelle Nichols' album in the '60s, the Rockin' My Baby song from Rockin' My Baby. Uh, how about or Die. an entire? Yeah, and then uh, how about the, just the the idea of a hospital planet, right? A ship that is, uh, a planet that's just a hospital, okay, for the criminally deranged, and it's run by a species of humanoid alligators. Mm-hmm. That would have been interesting too, or crocodiles, or whatever they were going to use. But you know, I, I I can't say that if I was um, in the swamps in the Okeechobee area or whatever, if I could tell you this is an alligator versus a crocodile. I know they have differences, but um, yeah, you, you know, you can tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile kid. Uh, it has something to do with a snout. Doesn't no, it? an alligator you'll see later. A crocodile you'll see in a while. Why? Thank you. That's brilliant. That should be, that should be a song. It should be a rhyme. <laughs> I'm just you know, throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, it, it's funny. This, this episode is ludicrous. To the, to, it's all over the board. To the nth it degree. makes no sense. But there are a yeah. lot of little things that are like, oh, this is Star Trek, right? Because like, like the the entity thinks Kirk is its father at some point in the episode. I'm like, okay, that's kind of like the changeling or anything like that. Uh, you have you know the fact that the Enterprise gets taken over by something, and the computer. It's not really the computer being self aware, because it's like possessed. But it, that happens, you know, in TNG later on down the road. So yeah, and how that how that work out for them? That, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it, and then the whole insane asylum thing, like we talked about. So th- I wonder if they—I mean—they kept this one on the shelf and cherry picked some some ideas. And and it's very interesting that he resubmitted it to TNG. You know, like twenty five years later, uh, I guess he's figured, hey, I got—they never bought it the first time. Let, let me see if these guys uh, will take it. I, I don't know if the same 
crew was around back then. I don't know if it was like the Robert H. Justman writer's room or if it was the Michael Pillars writer's room, but regardless, I'm, I'm not surprised they they didn't pick it up. Now, I could see this working as an episode of Voyager, though, Ken. <laughs> For some reason, I could, too. <laughs> Maybe it's the um, lizard connection. But, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they definitely would do some abstract things, but I was just thinking to myself about the humanoid crocodiles or the uh, humanoid alligators, whatever. Would they have just... Pulled out the Gorn costume and done something with it. I'm just just trying to think of how the heck would they have these bipedal alligators people? Because that's what the Gorn is, right? He's a humanoid alligator. Well, see, the Gorn works because he's just he's just different enough. Like I don't look at that and say, "Oh, that's a fake alligator costume." Like it was very genius of them to like, "Okay, we're gonna have some insectoid eyes and still look different enough." You know, if you just try to like make it, just I just think it's some bad. Like 1950s B movie. I believe there is a movie. I've never seen it, but I believe there is a movie called The Alligator People. There is. There okay. is. Okay. I, I, that... I can't say I've seen it either. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember seeing that, like the like the either the VHS box or something, and it's like, no, I do not want to see that. In my... That's the difference between Star Trek and Lost in Space, right there. That yeah. Kind of stuff, Maybe it was so. a Paramount movie, and they had the they had, had the, the costumes and the suits or something in the background, right? Uh, that would have been something, man. Uh, but uh, but no, I'm glad you know your limitations, original series. I mean, and that's like you didn't even need that. Like that 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 has nothing to do with the plot, right? About the the baby, you know, cosmic baby taking over the ship. As you don't need those alligator baby. people. That's the first thing to go. You know, when I when I think of cosmic baby, I think of 2001 at the end. Ken, what about you? I, I do, I do. But going back to your original theme, I do think cosmic baby could also be a good. Name for a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're learning here. Even even Joanna would be a cool name for for a band. You know, well, so I, I think... can't. I keep thinking of Toto's song Rosanna when I'm thinking Joanna. So it wouldn't be too hard to flip it. <laughs> I think this topic has us just going completely off the rails. I'm yeah, afraid it's... to say. Yeah, much like the episodes itself. Uh, so yeah, that's what I mean. Usually at the end of these, we say, "Which one of these would you like to have seen on the show?" I think it's a clear winner for Joanna because to me it feels like a better version of the way to Eden. And Rock by Baby or Die is just absurd to the nth degree. So I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm leaning towards Rock by Baby. <laughs> 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 I mean, could could you? Ha- I mean, could you just see Ahura consoling the despondent Enterprise and singing Rock by Baby, and, and the ship falls asleep while it's hurling itself towards the sun? And then I guess the ship itself. This is this is just in the notes, man. I guess it coos. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, again, it makes me think of the animated series. Like this could have worked as a cartoon. You know, they could have. You could have had your alligator people on the animated series. You could have had your ship cooing and all that. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like it. Yeah. Also, like you read something like this that didn't happen, and you think about what if, what if they didn't make Turnabout Intruder, right? And then, and then we're here fifty years later, reading like, "Oh my God, they were going to turn. They were going to. Kirk was going to switch bodies with an ex girlfriend. Can you imagine William Shatner playing this? You know, it's like I, 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 I see that kind of conversation going down the same path as this one. So you never know how it would actually trans. Had they actually given this the green light, it might have changed enough where it would have been something more recognizable as and doable as a Star Trek episode. So yeah. I would, I would hope to think they kill the more absurd concepts here. Well, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, there's a lot of this, and a lot of this they couldn't do. I don't think they'd be able to pull it off. Don't throw the cosmic baby out with the bathwater is what I'm saying. I love it. There's your episode title. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, on that note, Ken, I, I think we've said all we can about these uh, these what-if episodes of the original series. There, Believe it or not, there are still some out there. 
So we'll, we'll, we'll dip back into this topic from time to time because it is a lot of fun to discuss, isn't it? Well, it is a lot of fun to discuss. I, I, I really enjoy, you know, reading these concepts. And it doesn't take for a second for me. It doesn't take much for me to, um, as much as we kind of can, can kid around. We had found some really great ones that, that we would hope, you know, they, they could have been made. And some were made, uh, you know, in different incarnations when, when Star Trek continues. So that, that's kind of neat. But I, um, you know, I, I do know how hard it is to come up with a new concept when you're doing you know, this is back in the old days, fellas, you know, when, when TNG and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and the original series used to have to come up with 26 episodes every year. And that that that's not easy to do. It's, you know, it, it really isn't because you're not you're not following a timeline, you know, or uh, um, I guess now everything is kind of a series. You know, there's there's one or two plots that you have to follow, but it, it's it's hard. It's definitely hard. But <clears throat> I like I said, possessed by the soul of a cosmic baby. That's 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 incredible. Well, the the thing about the the way to Eden is started as this kind of episode. Like, do you mm-hmm. do what do you like really dislike that one? Where, where do you stand on the way to Eden as an episode as as we actually got it, Ken? I I never liked it as watching it. You know when it was on all the time. I guess as time has gone on, you know I think I've said it before. I can almost watch any Star Trek and enjoy it. Because it's it's like being with old friends that type of thing. So I you know I, I can I can deal. I um, you know I I don't know when, when when they were singing all the time the costumes it 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 really takes you out of the story. It, you know it's it's just it's just absurd in how it was made and how they looked versus you know if they had sometimes when you're trying to do something in terms of a metaphor um, it's just it's just too spot on. And what it tells you sometimes is that uh, unless somebody from that era, meaning somebody very young or kind of engaged in what was happening, you know, it, 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 with the you know with the peace movement and and the hippies and all that other stuff, if they were to have written it, it probably would have come off much better than you know the older generation looking down at it trying to capture it. It they just failed, you know. Oh well, yeah, just, it, it it's just like, didn't it's like work. When older you know? people try to write high school shows. It's like kids don't talk this way. <laughs> That's exactly right. That, that, I guess that's my point. So, yeah. you know, if they if they had just reached out to a couple of younger folks, you, you know, who really who really understood what they were getting at, versus, you know, uh, it, and you know, I mean, a lot of the movement was, um, you know, some of the things that they were advocating was spot on. Some of the ways they were doing it, you know, you know, drugs and things, it was very destructive too. So, I mean, it had both. Both elements could have been incorporated to 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 kind of tell a story. I guess it's tough if you're a hippie in a in a utopian society. It's it's like well, what what are you exactly trying to make better? But it's it, you know that's why it failed. I think more than anything, and that's that's how I've always looked at it. It's like you know thanks, Grandpa, for your view on the hippie <laughs> movement. Well, you, I, know. you know, outside of obviously the visually you know uh, mm-hmm. dating of the episode of the space hippies, right? Yep. Uh, and Spock, you know, rocking out in the in the rec room, you know, yep. bobbing his, his heart, head right? as he's yeah. going. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. yeah there's no know. emotion there. No, no. <laughs> no not at all. It's no. all very logical. Uh, mm. the, the one the one thing that <laughs> sticks out to me more than anything is they go down to the planet, and they in the make uh, yeah, uh, Alan Napier, right? Yep. Or uh, Charles Napier? Excuse me, Charles Char- Napier. Charles Alan Napier. Napier played Alfred and Batman. 
the Adam That's West right. show. Charles Napier, who went on to play, you know, uh, uh, actually he was in Little Green Men in Deep Space Nine years later because he became that kind of like gruff, like military guy. He was the antithesis of this character, which is funny. But they go down the planet and he's sitting there and he has an apple in his hand that he's eating. He's dead. And Spock looks at him and turns to Kirk and he says, his name was Adam. It's like, thank you, Spock. <laughs> it's like, we get it. Okay, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, it's just like died from the apple, whatever. Uh, I, I just, that always amused me. Like, it was just like, as if we haven't hammered the point home enough, we're going to just spell it oh, out yeah. for all y'all. Yeah, so. yeah. It was, anyway. It, hey, well, you know, you, you, you can't get them all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and but, again, like you said, it's, en- it's enjoyable. We're sitting here having fun talking about it, so it's enjoyable. It is, it is, you know. Um, not as enjoyable as a cosmic baby, but it's what? Tell, tell me this. What if they made, tell me this, Kim, what if they made a movie version of that? Like where somebody hijacks the Enterprise looking for God and Eden? I think that would be arguably the best Star Trek movie, wouldn't you? Arguably, it would be. Yes, yeah. it, it would be. It would I mean, be I don't incredible. think who, I don't know anyone with the ego big enough to try and tackle that subject, but, <laughs> you know, maybe William Shatner if he had written and directed a Star Trek movie. I don't know, but we'll, we'll never know. So, well, in fairness, um, prior to the making of the motion picture, there were quite a few, couple of big scripts written by Gene Roddenberry that tackle God directly. Um, That's true, and he's a computer, as so as always. I believe so. <laughs> well, he got the Titans too, so you have the gods again. And it, he, you know, it was funny that that Roddenberry was so against Star Trek V, where some of his scripts in the past were actually quite similar to where he was going. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. So the, the, the paradox of the man, right? So, yep. Anyway, well, Ken, it's been a lot of fun talking been. about the lost episodes of TOS Part 4 this week on Standard Orbit. But that's not the only thing that's been talked about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. And, and again, the Kelvins, they're enjoyable to me, but... I'm so thrilled I don't have to hang, you know, whatever the need was for them in 2006, that's been 13 years ago. I mean, talk about water under the bridge and how much things have changed. The way the world looked, media and Star Trek land looked in 2006, and what the emotion and the vibe and all that was, is completely different now, and these movies are a holdover from that, and that's fine. But they, the, our Star Trek world does not depend on them. Earl Grey. It's nice that she gets some revenge at the end because they reverse the whole connection to find them, right? But at the same time, that doesn't like... The ends do not justify the means. Literary Treks. But Tilly feels she's failed. And I think when you're at that age... Failure feels almost um, like it's going to annihilate you because you're still quite fragile. Your your sense of self is still quite fragile. That if something goes wrong, you think it's the end of the world. And in fact, it's only the, the, the secret, of course, being a, gr- a grown-up is that when things go wrong, you still feel like it's the end of the world, but you kind of pick yourself up a bit more quickly. But Tilly hasn't had those experiences. It's always been success. The Orb. On top of that, the Ferengi going to the Mirror Universe gives us the opportunity to kind of explore one last time the character of Quark in a way where we are able to see how he's grown. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. 
If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.